The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 105. Captain DeBridge, Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series movies, and more, and today we're discussing the original series episode, What Are Little Girls Made Of, Made Of. Sorry, I get that rhyme in my head every time I say it. Joining me today on the panel is Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Unfortunately, Father Corey couldn't be with us this week, but uh, he'll be back with us next time. Uh, Folks, if you could, please remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on Facebook at facebook.com slash starquestmedia. You can retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN. And be sure to leave us comments in both places. We love to hear from you. We love to engage with you in social media. Uh, it's one of the reasons we do this, as we love to connect with, with people online. So uh, this is a first season episode of the original series, uh, aired in October of 1966. And uh, it's interesting that in this episode, what we're missing, which is uh, McCoy, Scotty, and Sulu, none of them are in this episode. And in DeForest Kelly's case, that's somewhat understandable because he had not been hired to be a series regular at this point. He had a contract for like, I think it was eight episodes out of the initial order of 26 or whatever it was. And he became a breakout character. So they made him a regular, but he was not planned to be a regular. Right. It's kind of interesting given how his contributions would have to to this story would have made it different because as the doctor, he would have you know, had some things to to say with with a lot of this. So it's interesting that his omission. I, I find it interesting. Well, there are a few things that are interesting here. So one is this is by Robert Block, who is a well-known science fiction writer. And that was part of Gene Roddenberry's uh, goal for the original series was to have as many episodes as possible written by reputable science fiction writers to bring their audiences to the show and increase the show's prestige. So he got Robert Block to do this one, but apparently there were a lot of script problems. And so Roddenberry himself, and this is typical Roddenberry, rewrote everything. But in this case, it was rewritten in such a last minute fashion that apparently shooting was held up as they're waiting for Roddenberry to come up with new pages. Right. Also, in the original version, so this is basically a two hander that's largely focused on. Kirk and Christine Chapel. And this is the most Christine Chapel episode ever. Yes. Of all time. This is where she gets more development than anybody among the uh, among the supporting cast. Originally though it wasn't written for her to be the lead. It was like the fiance of Dr. Roger Corby who had hired the Enterprise to go look for him, which was apparently <laughs> something you could do hire a military exploration vessel to go do personal errands. 
but uh, Roddenberry thought it would work better with Majel Barrett, his main squeeze and future <laughs> yeah. wife uh, and former yep. number one getting the getting the role. So it was rewritten in her favor. We probably should mention what the title you mentioned. It's based on the rhyme, What Are Little Boys Made Of? Right. And Snips and Snails and Puppy Dog Tales. And then for girls, it's Sugar and Spice and Everything Nice. And the question is, who's the little girl in this episode? On the mm-hmm. one hand, it would seem, it would Christine would suggest herself. She's the major feminine, female part right? She uh, in this episode. But I think they're really referring to the android uh, robo-floozy that we're going to meet later named Andrea. And it's curious because you'd think the logical title would be what are little boys made of because Roger Corby is the is the big question. But maybe it was a, a misdirection. They want to give two things away too early. Or intrigue. Yeah. You know, because if, if people are familiar with what are little boys made of, flipping the, that to what are little girls made of will increase a little bit of intrigue factor. Hmm. Although back then... That really didn't matter unless you read TV Guide and saw the episode title coming up. That's true. That's true. The, the, so the question brings uh, up... On the other hand, yeah. everyone read TV Guide and saw the episode <laughs> title coming up. Right, right. TV Guide was required reading in most houses. So two key themes in this story, or two key questions. Can our consciousness be transferred to a machine and yet we still live? That you know, Can who we are be moved to a machine? And it'd still be us. And then the other one is, are all human emotions equally important? What if we could eliminate hate or jealousy through some psychological means or physiological means? Uh, and I, those are, I felt like, were the two key themes in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we talk about this, we can, bring, we can, we can revisit that. But uh, I, I felt like this episode really tried to delve into some important questions, which I think are good. Yeah. And this is the anti-Star Trek Picard episode, because the (laughs) answer they come to at the end of this episode is the diametrically opposite of the answer they come to in Star Trek Picard. Right, right. It's very interesting. Uh, uh, We can talk about that as we get to the end. But yeah, it is very interesting that how how the 20th and 21st century have changed on these these questions. Yeah. So we start with the Enterprise entering orbit around XO3. They're talking about this about Roger Corby, uh, who is this famed uh, the pastor of archaeological yeah. medicine. So yeah, so he's the guy who figured out you sterilize the archaeological medical samples. Okay, <laughs> or or at least he's you know uh, the 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 he did to archaeological medicine what Louis Pasteur did for the G germ theory or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but he's revolutionized their immunization techniques, and Kirk has always wanted to meet him because he's altogether now required, required reading at the, at the academy. academy. Yes, <laughs> we, we that this is like a Star Trek trope. We, you're always encountering people who are required reading. I can, I'd love to see the curriculum at Starfleet Academy. What the curriculum list is. Uh, so Kirk thinks he's dead because he has. It's been five years since they've had a message for him, and two previous expeditions have failed to find him. Yeah, and it's interesting the relationship between Christine Chapel and Roger Corby because as the episode starts, we don't get a captain's log. So we don't know the name of their of the planet they're around. We don't know anything. Right. We're really being dropped into the middle of this. And Kirk walks up to his chair and Nurse Chapel is standing there and he says, I understand you gave up a career in bio research to serve on a starship. 
<laughs> and instead of saying something relevant, like, yes, Captain, I did. Yes. She just comes out with, I know he's alive down there. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's like, okay, we're a little obsessed, aren't we? But you put it together from all of the clues they drop during the course of the episode, we learn more about this relationship. And when you put the pieces together, what it looks like happened is this. Christine Chapel was a student of Dr. Roger Corby and who's apparently, you know, he's a bio-researcher. She was planning in a career in bio-research. And she became engaged to him. So already, Agnes Girardi and Bruce Maddox. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Yes. And so she's his student. She gets engaged to him. He goes off on a temporary research expedition. They're still engaged. They did not break up. Right. And, And so this is a temporary research expedition. It was five years ago, more than five years ago. He goes out of contact to... Further expeditions have been to XO3 to try to find him and have not. She's been obsessing over him as her fiancé this whole time. She has not moved on with her life. Instead, she joined Starfleet to serve on a ship in hopes of going to find him. Right. And now that's finally happening for her. And then at the end of the episode, after he's no longer in the picture, she decides to stay with the starship. Right. And so it's like, wow, what a fascinating, under underdeveloped tale of personal obsession we have here. <laughs> well, and uh, that, that parallel that you mentioned to the Agnes Gerardi Bruce Maddox, I mean, he went off and developed androids, a, a secret android yeah. community. I mean, yeah. I, I have to wonder how much of Star Trek Picard is actually comes out of what are little girls made of? That's a, I- that's a ditching question. My thought is that probably they had forgotten about this episode. And I mean, maybe someone pointed it out to them along the way, but I don't think they're consciously drawing on it because that was the (laughs) brief they were given from Sir Patrick Stewart was this all has to be different and new. Right. And these android, secret android community that's a threat to humanity and Gerardi and Maddox and all of this stuff and transferring (laughs) your consciousness. This is all Star Trek Picard in 1966. Yes, and Michael Chabon, who is the showrunner on Picard, is a huge Star Trek fan, so he would know this story. So interesting. It might have been, maybe maybe it was a uh, 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 um, subliminal, or you know, he was was not aware. Subconscious. He did Subconscious. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Subconscious. Uh, so meanwhile, uh, Corby finally responds to hails uh, from the Enterprise, and he wants Kirk to beam down alone. <laughs> Because I've made such ex- I've made such discoveries, they may require an extraordinary decision from you. Yeah, and why does that mean I need to beam down alone? Should, should that warning bells be going off? Uh, and then, uh, he, and then Kirk says, "Well, if we've got someone here you might want to see." And he so uh, you know Christine, and says, "Oh, of course, bring her too." I I never hope. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, when Spock asks Chapel if it's Corby's voice, because they don't have voice print analysis, then. She asks, she responds again with a seemingly non sequitur. Have you ever been engaged, Spock? As if that answers the question. And she and Kirk smile, uh, smile mockingly at Spock. But of course, it'll turn out Spock's already betrothed to someone. <laughs> so, yeah. yes, I have. But he doesn't say anything to his credit. I like how, as they're getting ready to go down to the planet, and 
Christine is having her verbal reunion with Roger Corby over the phone. Yes. You have the the people, the extras in the background, like there's there there's a, a male crewman and a female crewman, and they're like smiling their faces off at this. <laughs> yes. And so I like how even the extras are paying attention to the main action and reacting to it. Right. And then as they're going down to the planet, you know, Captain Kirk heads for the elevator and Christine Chapel follows him. But as she's heading towards the elevator, Uhura gets up and gives her a hug and kisses her on the cheek and yes. is just so happy she's been re- she's about to be reunited with her uh, fiance. And it's just a great human moment. And none of that's scripted. This right. is all just the actors, you know, getting in on it. And it was really nicely done. It's very nice direction in this because, yeah, it adds a, a lot to the story without having to add a lot of dialogue. A lot of you get the sense that the others are, are emotionally invested in Christine's story and, and that there's more to it. I, I do like that they don't they're not banging us over the head by spilling it out. Uh, so Kirk and, and, and Chapel beam down to this room that's just inside the, the underground caverns. The, the multicolored underground caverns. <laughs> yes, it's very nice uh, caverns, actually. Uh, and the the planet surface is is frozen, uh, and apparently uh, the the people of Exo Three had been driven underground at some point by natural yeah. changes. And and they they have the same glaciers that the planet in all our yesterdays with Mister <laughs> Atos had. Yes, yeah, that's right, that's right. Corby is not there to meet them, and so Kirk asks Spock to beam down two red targets. I mean, security guards, <laughs> <laughs> which is actually the first. I think the first security yes. red red shirt moment in the, right. in the series. So Rayburn and Matthews, two red shirts, beam down as security. Kirk leaves Rayburn in the entryway room and tells Matthews to come with him and Christine as they go deeper into the caverns. And all of a sudden, Matthews, who's behind them, yells and he it turns out he's fallen down or the we quickly realize has been pushed down. Yes. A literally bottomless pit. Yes. It must come out the other side of the planet then. <laughs> yeah, through the planet core. <laughs> but uh, that is, Matthews is the first red shirt killing. Yes. Uh, and uh, yeah, this, and this is laborious scene of them making their way down into this, into the tunnels. They, they encounter Corby's assistant, Brownie, which is, uh, Christine calls him, or, or Brown. Uh, mm-hmm. And while they're talking to him, this this hulking figure, this really huge actor, uh, who is it? The same guy who Ted Cassidy. Yeah, is 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 he the same guy who was in the James Bond Moonraker Jaws? Uh, no, he's not uh, Jaws. Uh, that's uh, if I recall correctly, that's a yeah. different actor. But right. Ted Cassidy is the actor who played Lurch on the Adams Family. Oh, that's what it was you from there. Rang. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah um, he's got the voice. It's awesome. And, and, and I want to talk about Ruck because he's so he's he's wearing a bald cap and they've highlighted his face with purple makeup to make it look like he's got more severe, you know, hollows under his eyes and more mm-hmm. severely hollowed cheeks and stuff like that. But what's um what I'm so impressed by, and of of course, if you're if most people have seen Lurch, you know this guy's like seven feet tall. Yeah. So he's physically imposing. And unlike Lurch, he is not, he doesn't look like a thin butler. He looks like a hulking brute. Right. Because they've got him wearing body padding and stuff. But the most amazing thing is the, so this is a fashion conscious episode. 
Yes. We have, of course, all of the Enterprise crew in their regular twenty mid-23rd century uniforms. But then everybody on Roger Corby's team is wearing a their own, I guess, expedition uniforms, right. which all have the same design, which is it's like an X where you have these two swatches that cross on their chests. Like an X-Men of, outfit, yeah. <laughs> kind of like an X-Men thing. One of them is a green swatch that goes over the, a, a blue swatch. And then the background, if there is a background on the uniform, is black. And so you have Roger Corby, and later we'll see Captain Kirk in the same thing too, but you have Roger Corby wearing basically this green-blue X coveralls. His assistant, Brownie, is wearing a similarly thing themed thing that looks like a green-blue X overalls. Yeah. You know, it's not as it's got more of the black background. It's not coveralls. It's like overalls. And then you have uh, Andrea, the Robo Floozy. Oh my! <laughs> wearing wearing the X design, but it's like All a cut out. Sl slinky pantsuit with no black background. So wow, she's showing a lot of skin. <laughs> Let me tell you, as a as a an eleven year old boy watching this, it was this episode gets your attention as a as a prepubescent boy. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, but the most amazing fashion is what Ruck is wearing. Yes. Because it's this huge it's it's this enormous gray bathrobe. Right. And inside the bathrobe it has this pink pastel floral design. And he's wearing a nightie that <laughs> has the same pink pastel floral design. And this looks like something my grandmother from the 1960s would have worn, only turned inside out. It's like, okay, <laughs> she's she's got the she's got the pink floral nighty, she's got the pink floral coat with the gray lining that has she's wearing inside out for some reason, and she's a seven foot tall killer android. Other than that, this is what you'd <laughs> expect your 1960s grandmother to be wearing. Uh, there's a story that it's told about uh, where they wanted to test how effective. Ruck's costume and makeup were that mm -hmm. uh, the the uh, there was this visiting clothes salesman who came to sell some clothes to uh, to to Gene Roddenberry and they made sure that uh, while, while that it was Ted Cassidy dressed as Ruck who greeted him as he came in and the salesman was so frightened at Cassidy's appearance <laughs> that he was barely coherent even as he tried to sell his stuff to Roddenberry uh, apparently. Uh, Roddenberry did end up buying some pants from him, so that's not yeah. nice. That's conversation, but yes, a very intimidating character. A really, and a voice, just that deep bass voice, just makes the whole thing. Uh, oh, and it's even creepier when he starts using exact copies of other people's voices. Oh yes, Christine and Kirk. Yeah, that yeah. is that is very creepy. But but for me, it just it the edge is even though he is very frightening, the edge is taken off of it by the grandma costume. I mean, I just expect he's like he's just like woken up and is padding down to the kitchen for some more milk and killing. <laughs> so, uh, meanwhile, so they counter the Brown, who doesn't seem to recognize Christina first, but then he does. But he's very cold to her, very unemotional. Uh, he's also really uncompassionate about this about the red shirt who's just died. It's like, oh, I assure you, he's dead. Oh, it is so unfortunate. Yes. Oh, very unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, Kirk then signals the the the, the one that the uh, red shirt they left by the entrance and tells them to ask the Enterprise to have a security team standing by. So so 
naturally, the red shirt turns his back to the cavern so Ruck can sneak up on him, you know, because that's yep. great work there on the security guy's part. Red, red shirt body count quickly moves up to two. <laughs> that's right. So uh, Brown lectures them as they walk. Uh, you must have often heard Dr. Corby remark how freedom of movement and choice produced the human spirit. The culture of XO3 proved his theory when they moved from light to darkness. They replaced freedom with a mechanistic culture. Uh, so we we have a little bit of a interesting um, ideological uh, lecturing going on in this in this mm -hmm. scene. Uh, they get to Corby's quarters, and uh, as as I write, uh, barely dressed Andrea shows up, and Christine shoots daggers at her with her eyes. Yeah, uh, Kirk's tongue is hanging out like a hound dog. <laughs> uh, yeah, Christine is where the focus is because it's yeah. like instant threat alert to what are you who is this slinkly dressed woman who is here all alone with my fiance yes and uh yeah i i could i could see it uh when uh kirk tries to call rayburn or the ship uh brown pulls a weapon on him and when andrea tries to disarm him kirk grabs her as a shield and shoots brown who's we've, we see our horrifically his guts are electronics and ruck comes in and grabs Kirk like a ragdoll and, and lifts him up to the uh, against the wall. It's I just I, I love this this disparity between Ruck and Kirk in in this episode. Yeah. Also, there's a moment in that scene where when Corby comes in, he his first thing he does is rush over to Christine and plant a big kiss on her. Yes, and so he's clearly enthusiastic about having his fiance back. And then, oh, hi, Captain Kirk. <laughs> right, right, right. And and he's apologetic to Kirk. He's like, no, no, I get it. Uh, and, and there is, I think, an intentional, they're intentionally contrasting Corby's um, uh, natural emotions versus the coldness we saw in Brown or in Andrea and, and that sort of thing. So I think that's yeah. an intentional direct direction that they're going with. And uh, Ruck. And Ruck, yeah. And Ruck calls the ship and uses Kirk's voice to tell Spock that everything's okay. But Spock already senses something is wrong. Yeah, although he doesn't have any proof at this point. But yes. I like how, and, and now in later episodes, they would have like code words. Yes. That if these code words are not used, you know there's a problem. But they don't have that in this episode. So right. Spock doesn't have any proof that there's a problem. But it is so creepy watching Ruck impersonate Kirk perfectly and having J William Shatner's voice coming out of Ted Cassidy's mouth. Right. They get the mouth movement, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then he then he he does he does other impersonations. He impersonates Brown and Andrea and Christine, and at that point Corby tells him stop, do not mock Christine. Yes. Even though he was kind of the one who led him into that. Yeah. And he says, in fact, you're not you're you are not to harm Christine. And this is a theme that has already been introduced. Corby has warned Kirk that if he interferes, Ruck may hurt him, suggesting Ruck is not entirely under Corby's control. Right. And so he but he then tells Ruck, do not harm Christine, and Kirk adds, or disobey her orders. Yes. <laughs> and he's setting stuff up for the future. Right. And Corby goes along and says, yeah, also obey her orders. Well, and this idea that Ruck's not under his complete control, you know, Corby claims that Ruck killed the, the red shirts to protect Corby's experiments, but it's not what Corby would have wanted. Like, so that the yeah. Ruck is a bit of an independent agent here. Uh, he explain, explains that Ruck is, you know, is, uh, 
a complex android built by the previous inhabitants, not by the Corby. The old ones. The old ones. Andrea talks to Christine, who asks... Uh, Chris, uh, Andrea asks Christine, how can you love Ro- Corby without trusting him? Like, because Christine doesn't trust him. So there's this naivete on the part of the of the android about love. She thinks she understands love, but obviously yeah, doesn't. There's, so there's a couple things to pull apart here. One of them, so Ruck explains that he's the superior android because the old ones built him. So he was superior to Brown, yes. for example. And Corby says that Ru- they found Ruck here tending the machines. So he's like a caretaker. Yes. But it's been so many centuries, even he doesn't know how many. I saw on Memory Alpha, it said like half a million years, but I don't recall hearing that number in the episode. Yeah. Then we shift to a scene where Christine and Andrea are alone in a room, and Andrea is confused. Initially, her point of confusion is, why aren't you happy? Because you're back with Roger now. And so she doesn't understand that, and then she doesn't get, like, do you not trust him? And Christine is very direct. It's like, where's Captain Kirk? Right. She's very focused on mission. And while Andrea, the robo floozy, is confused about human emotions. So she's obviously a robot of a lesser order. They Technically, they haven't revealed that she's a robot yet. Yes. But she's a robot of a lesser order like Brown. Right. That is not as fully understanding of human nature. Then Corby and uh, Kirk come in. And Corby reveals that Andrea is a robot. And this is our second robot reveal. So yes. we had Brown. Obviously, Ruck is a robot. Now Andrea is revealed as a robot. There's just one planet on one person on this planet left. I'm wondering what's <laughs> going to happen with that person. <laughs> but he comes in and he refers to Andrea as a robot. And Christine is not surprised. She's like, of course, you, you said you made Brown. So... A mechanical well, geisha yes. is obvious. And and they're being understated about it because this is the 60s and 60s television had to be family friendly in a way that television is not now. But um, in the absence of his fiance, Corby has been having a relationship with Andrea. And that's going to come up again later in terms of, oh, I could never have feelings for her. She's just a robot. Right. He says, do you think I could love a machine? And Christine says, did you? Not do you, but yeah. did you? Which is, that's she, they're talking about two different things. Yeah. He's talking about emotion. She's talking about activity, and yeah. uh, which is natural, right? She's no dummy. And uh, yeah, uh, there's also, this is also the scene where he has Andrea, to prove how much of a machine she is, kiss Kirk and then slap him. As if that proves anything. <laughs> like I can imagine yeah. the real woman could be could willingly kiss someone and then slap him across the face with no <laughs> no compunction about it. But yeah, uh, Corby seems a little bit naive. But he is going on about she's a thing, not a woman. You right. know, which is which is him objectifying her in a big way. I mean, he happens to be right in this case. I mean, Andrea is a toaster. Yes, but. This really resonates with men objectifying, oh, I, she could never mean anything to me. It was purely physical. Right. So then Corby, and, and Corby, uh, through all of this, he comes across as, he's trying to be, come across as Mr. Reasonable. It's like, if you 
I've made these amazing discoveries, and once you see them, you'll understand. And oh, I didn't want anything bad to happen, but the robots are just trying to protect stuff. And he's he comes across with this kind of breathy, calm presentation, right, of everything he's saying. And and they keep going. Well, okay, so show us the amazing stuff now. And he finally gets around to it. It's like, okay, I'm going to show you how to make an android. And it turns out you make androids out of Play-Doh men, <laughs> right? So. Human we blanks. Go, yeah. <laughs> so he takes he he takes us into a room that has a turntable. It's like a giant record player. And on one side of the record player, we have Kirk already strapped in. Naked Shatner. <laughs> Naked Shatner strapped in. And then we have a Play-Doh man on the other side. Yes. And they turn on the record and it starts spinning around. And eventually the body of the Play-Doh man comes to be a perfect stunt double of Kirk. <laughs> yes. So they made his body the same. So now they're going to impress Kirk's mind on it. And so uh, Kirk comes out with Chekhov's mind your own business, Mr. Spock. I'm sick of your half-breed interference. When you say Chekhov's, you don't mean Ensign Chekhov. You mean like Chekhov's gun. <laughs> I mean, it's going to go bang later in the episode. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> and so William Shatner gets to wince a lot as they make the impression on the new duplicate captain, and uh, and it's done. So Corby's all proud. The question arises at this point, but for me anyway. So when you've made the du- when you make an android, you've duplicated somebody. Mm-hmm. What happened to the original Corby in Brown and Andrea? Well, well, we they... find out what happened to Corby. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's left unclear if they Corby says they made Brown, and and since he's a lower order android that doesn't have, I mean, I mean, we're kind of we have to spoil something to I guess yeah. to answer this yeah. question. Corby was physically injured. He says he was freezing. He was dying. His legs were gone. It was only his brain keeping him alive, and so right. they made an android of him, and they fully transferred his consciousness into it. And right. he says, we could have done that here with Kirk, but he stopped midway through the process. He just copied Kirk's consciousness. He didn't transfer it, right. which is a distinction without a difference. That just means you didn't kill the original. Yes. But he says, we made Brown and Andrea, and that suggests they may not have been alive. Well, in, fa- in fact, Andrea, I don't even know if she's based on a real person. Well, Christine recognizes Brown as Kirby's right. assistant, so... There was yeah. a real Brown at some point. No, yeah. I'm not disputing that, but yeah. he may have died, and then they made him after the fact. Out of a photograph. Yeah. Which may be why he doesn't recognize Christine. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah there's no hint that Chris, that Andrea really existed prior to this, and, and that may be why they don't have the emotions or what have you, because they, they were made out of whole cloth. Right, because Corby does have emotions because he was a transfer, and you would expect Brown and Andrea to similarly understand emotions if they were transfers of humans, too. Right, but presumably at some point, Corby was killed uh, in this yeah. process. So uh, at lunch later, Ch- uh, Christine is having lunch, and she's joined <laughs> yeah. by Captain Kirk. who and, and I love that Andrea is serving them beef Play-Doh stew. <laughs> yes, Star-, Star Trek the original series food, which is all kind of really gross. And... Yeah. Uh, when, and and this this fake Captain Kirk, because of course is the android, probes her loyalties at this point. Mm-hmm. If you received a direct order to betray Corby, would you? And she defers, saying she'd rather jump off a cliff. She does. She doesn't give a straight answer here. 
Yeah, she says, don't make me make that choice. I'd rather have you push me off a cliff like Red Ensign Redshirt. Which, it's either, I, I wonder if it's she's perceived or suspects that this isn't the real Kirk, or if this is her real feelings about it. But one way or the other, she's hedging her bets. Yeah, I think this is her real feelings. I think she's genuinely surprised when it turns out this is Robo Kirk. Right. Also, she totally vouches for uh, Roger's sanity. Yes. And even though he's acting like a crazy man, he has such a reputation for being the pasteur of whatever and, and <laughs> right. you know, required reading and all. Everybody's in awe of him. So it's like, oh, well, we're giving him a pass because he's Roger Corby. He must have a good reason for all this. Right. And so Christine, in her case, she's also his fiance, so not the most objective person possible. Sure. But like, wow, okay, no, Christine, your 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 boyfriend's a Fruit Loop. <laughs> yeah, and then so uh, and Corby and the real Kirk join them uh, in in the room, and there's some repartee between fake Kirk and real Kirk over uh, eating, and you, you'll never have the pleasure of eating. Well, I'll never have the the dishonor of starving. So <laughs> that um, Kirk compares Corby's plan to improve the species through through androidization with that of the eugenicism of Genghis Khan or Hitler. I'm not sure what, whether Khan, Genghis Khan had Geng eugenics. Yeah, I'm not. He just he's really just rattling off dictators here. Yeah. Um, Maybe the, he meant Khan Noonien Singh. That would have been more appropriate. Well, but that hasn't been invented yet. <laughs> yes, he's, I know. And he says Genghis, <laughs> and then he says Hitler, and then he names some other. And I like that they make the effort to give us some names of future dictators. Right. Who did similar things, even though we have no other context. Yes. But that's nice. But yeah, he's Corby has this plan. He's he says he goes on to explain I could have transferred Kirk's full consciousness into the android. And it as as someone who works with computers, I mean yeah. like almost everybody today, the fallacy in that is obvious if you clone a computer and delete the files from the original, that's not that's not that's the person. Not, that's not the person. You've just made a copy and killed the original. Well, in Star Trek, if you copy a file, you've you've deleted it from the original all the time. You cannot, yeah. you can't copy files for some reason. <laughs> yeah, but he says that's practical immortality. Humans and androids can even be programmed to be better. They can be programmed to not fear things and have joy instead. I'm offering you a practical heaven. I just need you to transport me to a colony with raw materials. I don't even want you to divert from your route because there must be no suspicion. The androids must be strongly infiltrated into society before android existence is revealed. And it's like, dude, <laughs> you're, 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 you're totally off in your own land right now. This is not, if you think this is going to get sold. <laughs> I mean, your elevator ain't hit, reaching the top floor there, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, yeah, he, he plans on doing this without people's consent. You know, he refers to people as raw materials. Yeah. Well, and, no, I, I, I took that to mean materials for the android bodies. But. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's that. Uh, but, but yeah, he wants to program away all negative emotions, you know, which is essentially the same as, you know, is, is perhaps drugging people or lobotomizing people or whatever you want to call it. It's, 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 you know, you're not improving the species. Mm -hmm. Uh, so Kirk manages to escape and Ruck gives chase and, uh, he in, in, imitates Christine Chapel against the orders of Corby, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. 
And and Kirk. Kirk so as as we're having some Doctor Who like running through corridors. Yes. Kirk grabs a styrofoam stalactite. Yes. And and apparently realizes that Ruck is impersonating Christine because when he then responds to the apparent calls of Christine, he's apparently luring Ruck towards him because he then, without looking, tries to smash Ruck in the face with the styrofoam stalactite. Yes. And it would have been Christine if he hadn't, <laughs> if he, if he hadn't known somehow. Man, he would have felt bad if he smashed Christine with a stalactite. So Kirk ends up hanging from a cliff over the bottomless pit. And after a moment of indecision, Ruck does pull Kirk up. There is a moment where Ruck is, you know, considers what to do yeah. here. Because Christine uh, has been yelling at him not to hurt Kirk. Yes, so he has to obey the, her orders. Meanwhile, uh, aboard the Enterprise, Spock is surprised to see Captain Kirk walk by him, and he follows him to his quarters, where uh, Kirk enters uh, his uh, his password, his combination to his safe, which will come up in that uh, infamous William Shatner Sunday Night Live episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is the combination to the safe? And uh, he asks Kirk a, a, a normal question, and Kirk snarls, mind your own business, I'm sick of your half-breed interference. Uh, then, as if he doesn't even yeah, realize what he's just closure. said. Yeah, yeah. And and as if he doesn't even realize what he's just said, he asks Spock, are you okay, Spock? What's wrong? Like, so, obviously, something's wrong with Kirk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, real Kirk, for some reason, makes Andrea kiss him against her will. Not sure well, what that was about. There's there's a couple of things going on here. So, um, the, so after Kirk gets into his safe, he grabs some, some uh, pads. Oh, yeah. And these yes. are not electronic pads. They're like notepads or something. I mean, paper notepads. Yeah. Maybe. Secret orders. Yeah. Yeah. And he takes him back down to the... He leaves to go back down to the planet. And as soon as he's out of the room, Spock contacts security and says, get a security team ready, but don't do anything with them until the captain beams down. Mm -hmm. So he's going to let RoboKirk go back down to the planet, and then they're going to follow him and surprise him. So then RoboKirk is back on the planet. And he's showing the secret orders to Corby, saying, I think you'll find that the colony Midos 5 is ideal for your purposes. And he's going, oh, yeah, lots of raw materials. Awesome. Yes. And so that's what they're going to do is they're going to, that's why he was up on the ship, was to find what colonies they're going near without having to divert very far. Right. And so now they have the next stage in their evil robo-benefit humanity plan. And uh, and yeah, right. So now Kirk is the real Kirk is trying to escape, and 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 part of his plan is to kiss Andrea again and make her do yeah. so against her will, as you do, because he's trying to. He's and I don't know how he gets this idea, but his idea is I'm going to stir up emotions in these robots, and yeah. they're not going to know how to handle it. So to stir up emotions in Andrea, he starts by by kissing her. And she then automatically goes to slap him afterwards, and <laughs> yes. he, because that's what you do, right? First you kiss the person, then you slap the person. That's what she knows. <laughs> so he stops her from that, from slapping him, and kisses her again. And so he's starting to try to stir up emotions in her. She's starting to get confused. She says, I'm not programmed for you, meaning she is programmed for Roger Corby. Yep. yep. And she's getting confused, and she leaves. And Kirk starts to follow her, but Ruck comes in and slams Kirk up against a bed, (laughs) a wooden bed. And Ruck is now getting angry. And Kirk 
points this out to Ruck. So he starts working on Ruck's emotions and starts probing his memories because apparently Ruck has distant memories of the old ones that he's not easily retrieving for some reason. Yes. And it's like, could your could your creators have like made your your people, your robot people too well so that they couldn't handle the unpredictability of the old ones and eventually took matters into their own hands and Ruck is like, the old ones grew fearful. They started to turn us off, so we destroyed them. And, and But wasn't that against your programming? Yes, that was the equation. Survival must cancel out programming. And Kirk, at this point, is trying to turn Ruck against Corby. And right. so it's like, ah, but Corby's doing that exact same thing to you right now. He's brought in us evil, unpredictable outsiders. He's recreating the situation where you killed the old ones, so that means you need to. And at this point, Corby comes in, and Ruck is, like, going to kill him, and he's menacing him. And Corby can't dissuade Ruck from this, so he phasers him out of existence. Goodbye, Ruck. Yes, and there goes the half-million-year-old android, lost forever. So uh, Kirk jumps on Corby, and, and Corby is damaged. His hand is damaged, revealing... That he's a robot underneath, that he's been a robot <gasps> all along. Had no idea. Surprise! Uh, meanwhile, uh, Corby signals Andrea to deal with Spock, who's just beamed out with the security party, but she misunderstands and so uh, what, what his orders. So when she encounters Robo-Kirk, she tries to kiss him for some reason. And, <laughs> and he says, no, it is not logical. <laughs> and so she blasts him. Uh, hell hath no fury like a robo-woman scorned, apparently. <laughs> uh, Andrea realizes her mistake, and Kirk points out that Kirby's perfect world still has imperfect beings killing each other. Um, and uh, Christine tells him that everything Corby has done proves that he's not really Roger Corby, that a real Roger Corby would not have done any of this. And I am Roger Corby, he screams. Yeah, this is... Yeah. This is significant because she's like, he's like, Christine, let me prove myself. I'm really Roger Corby. And she's, everything you've done is proved you're not. Yes. And so it's like, this is our anti-Picard statement. Right, exactly. Andrea refuses to give up her weapon. She says, you know, she's been made to protect Corby, to love him, to kiss him. And, uh, but when Corby says she cannot love, she cannot feel love, he, he, he's, grabs her, and he presses the trigger on the gun to kill them both. As he's kissing her. As he's kissing her. Uh, which, you know, poor Christine. <laughs> and that's when Spock finally arrives. Good, good timing there, Spock. <laughs> yeah. And at the end on the bridge, I love how for, uh, Spock... For once, someone arrived in something that was not just the nick of time. <laughs> yes. And uh, so, you know, you know, in the wrap-up on the bridge, Spock does, we have this light moment at the end where Spock says, uh, tells Kirk, uh, he was dismayed by his use of the term half-breed. Uh, and so Kirk says, well, next time I'm in a similar situation, I'll, I'll remember not to do that. Well, he says, I'll remember that next time I'm in a similar situation, which I took as I'm going to totally use that word again, because that was the key word that got me out of this situation. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. That's right. Uh, so, and, and even in the 60s, the term half-breed was, even though it wouldn't have the... I mean, today it's kind of a forgotten term. Yeah. Um, but if people think about what it means today, they'd have a very negative reaction to it. And even in the 60s, it, it had a negative ring to it, although I don't know that it would have been considered as offensive then as it is today. Right. I think uh, Spock calls it um, 
an unsophisticated expression, which yeah. is a mild uh, approbation. We we also had a a bit at the back on the planet where when Spot comes in, he's like, "Where's Doctor Corby?" And Kurt gets the mel- the the kind of dramatic line: "Doctor Corby was never here." Mm-hmm. And so it's like, "There's our Andy Picard statement again." Right, right. It's a, interesting the the contrast. You know that this, like we said at the beginning, this idea that they knew it, it, back in the '60s that you could not transfer a person to a computer. It just it was not a, th- a thing that you could do. You would lose, you would lose the person. You know, even mm-hmm. as, as in, you know, even as um, unsophisticated as computers were then, they just could not, you know, imagine this idea. Whereas today, I think there's this such enamor, this so this technological fascination. We imagine the technology will somehow progress to a point to overcome our humanity, and that and that we could do such a thing. Yeah, and I think it really shows the power of ideology. Mm-hmm. Because there's a difference between humans and computers, and that's just always going to remain. Even if even if you programmed a, a computer to act like you, it's still not you. And the I, but you do have people, transhumanists, seriously talking about uploading their consciousness and that still somehow being them. And it's like, dude, you're in an ideological fantasy land. That is not how reality works. Right. I wonder if some of it has to do with this persistent. Analogy that's been made that compares the way of the brain works to the, to a computer, and you know, and which is not. Act, I mean, it's an analogy, and all analogies limp, as we know. But yeah, it's it's an it's a it's persistent enough that I think people have begun to believe it that that our brain really does work like a computer, and that we're not actually that we're just meat computers, but we're not, and we are metaphysically much more than just the this this stuff we are made of. Yeah, but there's. And- Spirit. And even on even on the level of wetware, our brains actually do not work just like computers. There are significant differences in how computers perform and how our brains perform. Right. Yeah, I, it is a fascinating difference, uh, and, and that. And, I, and I'm curious where they're going to go with this in season two of Picard. If they will continue to push this, if they'll continue to even look at the idea of Picard as as an android, it, it, they might. I, I could see them doing it. Or if they're just going to pass by it and move on, you know, or you know, have occasional references. I think I am. I'm. I think they'll at least have occasional references, and I, I mean, I don't see how they can avoid that. Hmm. But I'm hoping they don't continue to make it a major theme. Right. In a way, the the even the original series had this problem as I continue to bring up, which is the transporter is do is kind of doing this where it's you know it's. You know, I call it the murder machine because it's breaking people down into bits and reassembling them uh, elsewhere, as if that's you know, as if that was the real person. But uh, it's a, it it this is what science fiction does best, which is is to take these big questions and abstract them from our context into a new context, uh, so that we can look at them in new ways. And uh, it is fascinating this 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 obsession that there is with a a functional immortality a immortality in this world that uh, is not is divorced from uh, the immortality that God promises us in, in our faith. And this is also not the only time in the original series this kind of robot immortality is going to come up. It's going to come up again in iMud, yep. where you have a planet of androids, and it's going to come up again in uh, the one with uh, 
Hinoch and Thalassa and Sargon. Um, the gamesters sur- of Triskelion. No, no, no. It's it's a oh, uh, no, that they're one. Yeah, survivors yeah, yeah. of an ancient, ancient dead civilization that keep yeah. their bla- their their minds in glowing uh, balls, and right. then want to make robot bodies. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it comes up several times. That which uh, survives. A- maybe that was the name of that one. That might have been it. Yeah, it was late. It was I think it was third season on that one. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, it it is interesting to revisit. And if and we're still dealing with these. There's a new series on Amazon Prime called Upload. I, I don't recommend it. I watched the first episode. It's way too much salacious content. But it's this mm. idea of an uh, the afterlife quote gets quote unquote replaced by an upload into a virtual world at the end of our lives. So it's it's a uh, uh, you know a perfect Doctor Who's already done that. Yes, uh, although I mean they they have they do some amusing things with it where. Um, Imagine if the afterlife were designed by the same people who create apps for your phone so that everything is an in-app purchase and there are glitches mm. and, and you know things don't run perfectly, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't recommend it because, again, the, the salacious content is not really all that well written. It's a, it's a poor man's The Good Place. Watch that instead. Uh, but uh, it, it's, a, it's a question I think people still deal with. And it's an interesting question why we still do. And that, that's why I find that a fascinating area of uh, discussion. All right, i I think that should do it. Anything else we want to mm-hmm. talk about this one? Um, so no, if, I think that's I think, good. What are we going to do next? So next time we'll be talking about we'll be doing a uh, an animated from the animated series. We haven't done one of those in a while called the Lorelei Signal. So that's, oh, uh, next time. So that will uh, be uncomfortable. <laughs> so uh, before we uh, sign off, I do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including. Matthew P, Ian J, Valerie T, Billy C, and Placid K. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Star Trek in all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. Uh, so we'd love to hear what you think of What Are Little Girls Made Of and the questions that are raised by it. For us and that we discussed here you can comment on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our facebook page facebook.com slash starquest media or send an email to trek at sqpn.com until next time jimmy aiken thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of star trek thanks dom and live long and prosper and once again i'm dom bettinelli thank you for listening to the secrets of star trek on starquest and remember father cory was never here <laughs> <laughs>